0: Let Lopate at large, I'm Let it Lopate. Michael Clinton's new book, Roar Into the Second Half of Your Life, offers a roadmap for navigating the post-career period of your life, no matter how old you are. According to the Labor Department, just this past April, more than four million Americans quit their jobs, a record number of resignations, and the pandemic has forced people to reconsider what they want their futures to look like. The book is published by Atria, and I'm pleased to welcome Michael Clinton to our show now. And we invite you, our listeners, to join in on the discussion by uh, by calling us. on air, Our on-air number is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Michael, welcome to our show. ROAR, R-O-A-R, is an acronym for... R, re-imagine yourself, to O, own who you are, to A, act on what's next for you, and to R, reassess your relationships. Did you coin it?
1: Yes. Thank you, Leonard. It's great to be with you. And I did coin it, um, you know, as a simple construct for people to sort of have a roadmap as to how they may want to live the second half of their life.
0: Well, you were the president and publishing director of the Hearst Magazines until you stepped down in 2020. Were you getting
1: bored? You know, I think we all sort of reached that point. Uh, I had a very long and successful publishing career, 40 years. With a lot of and perks. Even, I a lot of perks that went with that, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I think we all get that little voice in the back of our head that says, you know, we're ready to step out of that day to day, that first career, and maybe, you know, step into a new kind of future. And so, you know, I had been thinking about this for a year or so prior to making the decision to get myself to get myself ready, and that's actually how the, the book sort of came together during that one-year period.
0: Well, you were in your mid-60s, and you'd spent 42 years in the publishing industry. Did you ask yourself about staying on? What does that mean for me in the next 20 years?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I came to appreciate is if you're 60 and healthy, You know, you can live another 30 or 40 years. And so the old script that we'd all been given about what a second half of life might or should or could look like is all changing because people are, um, you know, working for their whole lives. Sometimes it's in a second career or a third career. Sometimes it's in their first career. Um, You know, there's there are a lot of emerging and existing role models. I mean, you are one of them. Um, you know, we, we look at, uh, you know, people who, who are thriving in their 80s and working in their, their first or second career. So it was really this idea of the possibilities that people have as they, as they move into the second half. And well, I was ready to sort of rewrite the script a bit.
0: Well, as you say, people have the potential to live well into the 70s and 80s and beyond. But doesn't that often make a plan of retiring in sixties less necessary or, or desirable?
1: Well, it's a good question because, you know, Stanford University just put out a paper called The New Map of Life, which was basically saying that the 100-year life is here now. And over the next decades, we're going to see a massive increase uh, people globally reaching 100, hmm. and what we're living
0: longer be, than we did in the past.
1: Yeah, living much even longer. even
0: with COVID, as, a, yes, as an issue. Yes, even with
1: COVID, which was the slight dip in the the life expectancy. But the the paper goes on to say that today's five year old, assuming they had the right prenatal and you know early childhood development. Uh, 50% of today's five-year-olds have the possibility of living to be 100. Mm. So to answer your question you know, or your statement, the 60-year career is going to become more of a norm than what might have been once considered the 40-year career. So yes, I think you're going to see people working longer. Part of it out of economic necessity to fund a very long life, and part of it out of, you know, fulfillment and satisfaction.
0: Well, as you point out, it involves dealing with the fact that many of us aren't prepared financially, logistically, or emotionally for the next phase in our life. And although we may want to retire, most of us don't want to just do nothing.
1: Exactly exactly right. And I think this is the aha moment, where all of a sudden, you know, it's interesting, in 34% of the U.S. population is 50-plus right now. Every day, 10,000 people are turning 65, and in 2030, one in five Americans will be 65-plus. You've got this huge group of people who are all of a sudden saying, wait a minute, I don't want to retire in the traditional way. You know, I want to rewire or refire. Hmm. And the 40 people that I interviewed in this book are all people who've actually done that. So I wanted those to be the inspirational stories for the reader of the book.
0: Well, many people are being forced to leave jobs that they didn't expect to leave. That's what happened to me a few years ago after having been with the same company for 33 years. I assume it was because I was uh, getting on in years and, and my employer felt it might be a good idea to replace me with a millennial who would be paid a lot less money.
1: Well, you know, all that's going to change. And I think it's the people who will force the change because what is happening now, and you mentioned some stats at the top of the show about people who have left their jobs and we've all read about the great resignation. The, the, the problem is as the boomers move out of the workforce and the generation before them, there aren't enough people to backfill the jobs. So employers are going to have to rethink how they keep seasoned experienced workers on longer that's going to be different kind of job structures it might be three days a week it might be intergenerational projects the importance of the wisdom the experience the mentoring is so critical and i think a lot of employers are beginning to see that light Um, and also a lot of the people are saying you know i i'm i'm not interested in retiring maybe i'm interested in a different kind of work style and so I think we're, we're, to, we're going to be at a really interesting crossroads in the next few years yeah. on this front.
0: Well, I found myself uh, with uh, having a choice, retiring or finding a job elsewhere. And mm-hmm. I was afraid that I might not be able to stay engaged, remain relevant. In your way of looking at a situation like that, might I have had more options? Yeah. I, I don't mean just me, but anyone who was in a similar position.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I call these people the reimagineers you know, these are the ones who have found the new formula for either working longer in their first profession or literally starting a whole new profession in their 60s. You know, a great example in the book, a woman who I interviewed who decided in her 50s to become a medical doctor. She had been a book editor and she's now a medical doctor in her early 60s. And her point of view is, you know, this career could be 25 years. that's okay. You know, thinking about it, the, the opportunity for people to pivot and shift in their 50s and 60s into a new career has never been more relevant. And there are lots of different ways to do it. We, we show a lot of tools and resources in the book and examples of how you can do it.
0: <laughs> well, I invite listeners to, to join in this conversation. Uh, again, the number 212-209-2877. That's two 20- zero. Is this different for men and women? A recent AARP survey found that almost 30% of women over age 65 reported feeling very or somewhat worried about their current financial situations compared with 20% of men who are that age.
1: Yeah, well, this is part of the O of ROAR, which is own your numbers. And you know, a part of this process that you have to go through is not only do you own your health numbers, which we'll talk about first, it's shocking to me how many 50 or 60-year-olds don't know their blood pressure or basic things like their heart rate, but more importantly is owning your financial numbers. You know, when a lot of people don't want to face the reality of, you know, what kind of financial numbers do they have? And it, can they sustain their their life and their lifestyle, you know, well into their 90s based on their current financials. But you have to go through the work to mm-hmm. do the work to identify where you are now before you can move it forward.
0: So you have to ask yourself questions like, what are my assets? What will I have from Social Security payments? Mm-hmm. Uh, when should I take Social Security payments mm-hmm. sooner or later? Um, Uh, do I have a pension or a 401k? And also, what's the cost of living right now?
1: Right. And also, am I going to run out of money when I'm 80? And, you know, if I'm 65 now and I do that math and I look at it, I say to myself, okay, how how am I going to rectify that? And I think that, you know, being proactive on this front, all the things that you cited, so important. And there are lots of tools online. You know, you don't necessarily have to have, you know, a fancy financial advisor. If you do, that's great. But your local banker can help you. An accountant can help you. It's really critical to go through that that financial roadmap for yourself to see, you know, how you're going to be able to afford to live.
0: Let's take a few calls. Again, the number is 212-209-2877. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Hello, oh, Leonard? Yes.
2: Yeah, good, good afternoon. How are you? Your guest is great.
0: Okay, well, you want to talk to him?
2: No, I got both of you. Uh, I got a great
0: career for your second thing. Well, way you way got to day day talk day. more carefully, cl- closely to your phone, but you drifted off.
1: Yeah, take a one-way ticket to Cuba.
0: Okay. Okay, thanks so much for your your call. Um, I think that man should retire that joke. Uh, Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air.
3: Hi. um, I was thinking, I find it very sad that even physically, if we're capable of working, that at the age, let's say, of 65, 70, we still have a need to be productive. I believe that uh, life is given us. We have a period of uh, studying, uh, maturing, and then we have work, and then we have to have uh, a time where work doesn't define who we are. Later on in life, that could be uh, volunteerism. It could be something that we uh, cultivated during the period of time we were working. But the fact that people need to work, and then financially, I, I understand. But now I'm talking about people who are afraid to retire who had nothing in their head other than work. I think that's not a good thing for our society. You're,
0: well, Michael, you say you didn't yeah. retire from your job, but refired and rewired your career.
1: Yeah, y- y- your, your uh, listener comments are so right on. I think one of the things, and interestingly enough, there's a whole chapter in the book on this very subject called life layering, because so many people do define themselves by their work, and what happens is they don't develop other aspects of their, of their identity. And so they get lost when the work is over and they can't find their way. And if you, start mm-hmm. this, if you start that earlier and you develop other identities for yourself, then what you do for a living does not identify who you are as a person and so this this particular chapter on life layering is a process that people can start at any time whether they're 30 or 70 to build build this out and yes there are many other things that people can do to be engaged and fulfilled and satisfied which is is so important post post work
0: you want to ask anything further caller
3: well i, I just i I, uh, I agree i just think that uh, when we get older we have a certain amount of experience and to utilize all of that experience only in the workforce is a little bit of a, a waste. I myself am still working. I'm I'm 70. Uh, I'm working. I have a 10-year-old child. Um, so I guess a little bit is financial but the reason I'm working mostly is because physically I'm capable of working. Um, but mm-hmm. the moment that I physically uh, have some kind of illness and because After all, retirement is really about going to doctors and maintaining your health. Then I'll probably let it go. But I'm looking forward to letting it go. I'm looking forward not to be productive, not to be efficient, but to merely um, live on my memories and my present experience and be kind to
0: other people. But some people are afraid of of not being engaged if they just let everything go.
3: Well, Therefore, they have not done enough during their life to develop and cultivate things that um, a self should cultivate, whether it be a hobby or, or, or you know, a passion for, you know, like lots of people volunteering in hospitals, places where they're needed. I have I actually work in a library and we have people who are retired, ex-teachers and so on, they volunteer um, shelving, you know, books, and uh, I guess that's kind of an engagement. But we don't have to be Engaged all the time, and we can still maintain health, both uh, physical and mental health.
1: Michael, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, I think it's well said. Here, here's what I would would say is that, you know, if, if you're 70, you're healthy. You're, you're engaged, you, you have to think about that, you know, you may have another, you know, 20, 30 years ahead of you. And so that's, let's be, you know, optimistic and proactive that your health will allow you to have that longevity. And, you know, thinking about what, what how you will fill that time is, uh, it's a good thing to go through now, just to think about, you know, what will this future look like? Um, what I'm finding in talking to a lot of the people that I interviewed these 40 amazing people is they spent about a year or two thinking about, if you will, the rest of their life. And some of them were in their 50s, some 60s, some early 70s, but they really did a lot of work to think about well, how do they want to spend their day? What were they? What are they good at? What aren't they interested in doing this, which is an important part too, you know, editing out the things that don't mean anything or matter to them anymore. You know, we have this great moment now that we're living in where we're going to have, you know, longevity is going to be more and more in our in our culture, in our society. And that's an incredible opportunity for all of us.
0: You're listening to Let It at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. My guest is Michael Clinton. And his book is Roar into the Second Half of Your Life, published by Atria. And we are taking your calls. Our number here is 212-209-2877. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air.
2: Mr. Lopate, how are you?
0: I'm okay. How because I decided not to retire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I listen to your show, and I think you're, I mean you're,
4: you're the epitome of the, of the conversation, because I thought you were in your 60s. And I
1: think that you're your over 80. You don't sound you don't sound a day over 60. I'm 81. Yeah, and with me, I'm actually 44. But my energy, like when I go to work and stuff, is like I'm like in my 20s still. Uh huh. I just feel like I'm in my 20s because I, I, you know, I just I, I've never smoked, never drank. I really want to. If I can, if God lets me live to like 90 years old, I'll be grateful.
0: But are you, you even know? thinking about a time when you might consider retiring, or is that going? Is that years down the road?
1: Well, Mr. Little Locate, when we were kids in high school, they said that Social Security might run out. So I think by the time we're tired of the deal with Social Security, so I think we're going to have to work, we drop that.
0: <laughs> Michael, do you want to add anything?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that that's a great, you know, it's going to be really interesting because as the population ages, and you heard some of the statistics that I gave. Um, you know, in, in, and believe it or not, and Leonard, you may know this the fastest growing population group is the 80 plus group. That group is expected to triple, you know, over the next two decades. So, to the gentleman who called, who just made that comment, that's going to put a lot of pressure on um, the, so, the social security system or social policies. You know, there will be a lot of people who, as they get older, are not going to have the benefits of, uh, you know, a, a strong financial foundation. So this is going to be crucial. You know, how will business, government, uh, how will they deal with this in terms of making sure that that Americans who are living longer have some kind of safety net? You know, a lot of people think it's going to be the private sector. This gets back to the fact that people, not so much people who are 60 today, but, this gentleman's 44, and he's going to probably, as he goes through the, you know, his 40s and 50s, realizing that he's probably going to have to work longer, just to maintain his income and his financial security. So this gets back to this um, this notion of a 60 year work life um, that's going to happen, which is why it's important that people really think about how do they wa- what do they want to do for work, because. That's a long arc.
0: Well, if you achieve success very early, isn't that a factor? For example, you uh, were the youngest person ever to hold a position when you became the publisher of GQ magazine in your twenties, yeah, and then went on to to yeah. run Hearst magazines.
1: Yeah, no, I had I had great um, great career success. You know, I was I'm probably a little unusual in that I spent 42 years in the same industry. Hmm you know basically working for two companies so you know it's kind of like you know that kind of career is kind of you know if it's working for you you continue to track it but i think uh younger professionals are moving out of in and out of industries in a different kind of way than perhaps my generation did but i think that you know if you do have success earlier it does give you a ramp of of growth. But it also, you know, lets you think along the journey that, you know, do you want to do something else? You know, as you may know from the book, Leonard, I went back to school in Mm my 60s. You started running marathons
0: and doing other stuff.
1: I I did that, too. I celebrated my 60th birthday by running a marathon on Antarctica, completing seven marathons on seven continents. And I'm like, bring it on. I want the adventure. Uh, of that. And I think you, we, we all have to be pushing ourselves on whatever front, you know, mental front, physical front, lifelong learning. The, the beauty today is that lifelong learning is a concept. There's so many things that are for free on something called MOOCs, Mass Open Online Courses. You can learn things, you can get certificates, you can get re-skilled. You know, it, it, there's no excuse. And by the way, there's a lot of money around for people who are in midlife who want to completely re, re-pivot or pivot into a new, into a new place.
0: But I, I'm often amused when politicians say that they're retiring to spend more time with their families.
1: Yeah, well, that's, you know what that means. <laughs> they're not reelectable. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the euphemism for, for sure. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of states. There are a lot of uh, states that if you're 60 or older, you can go to college for free. There are states that if your income is less than twenty five thousand dollars a year, you can go to college for free. There was a great story. He's it's, it's actually a New Yorker. It was a man who started a business. He was never able to go to college because he was, came from a, a, a struggled a family that struggled. And he ended up going back to college in his 70s. He had a successful, you know, we started a small business that was successful. And now he is 80, and he has just become a teacher. Hmm. And I love that story because that's a story of reinvention and reimagination, which is what the book Roar is all about. Well, let's take another call.
0: BAI, you're on the air. Hi. Yes, hi. Um, first of all, I really appreciate
5: this program. And Lenny, I want you to know we all knew it was ages from the get-go, and I'm very glad you're back at BDI. Um, So, for me, I'm hearing some things, and I'm really glad that your guest just mentioned some of the resources people can access who don't come from hyper-successful careers, such as your guest, and who might have both gender and just life circumstances preventing them from even accessing courses to recertify because they're working so hard to survive in this world where everything has gone up so much pre-COVID. And I'm wondering how we can find policies that would fund people's abilities to pay their rent Hmm. and take those certification courses, go and become a teacher, do those things without asking them to really living pure. That's my question to you,
1: (laughs) Jeff. Michael? Yeah, thank you. Uh, No, it's a great question and a very relevant one. I I was very conscious of this in writing the book and finding people who were exactly in those kinds of circumstances. And I'll give you an example of one, uh, a woman who was a restaurant worker who worked very long hours. Her husband was a construction worker they had five children between the two of them. You know, working class people struggling, no time raising kids, and you know, she. Uh, I think most people, because of the world we live in today, have access to a laptop, a computer. If if not at home, then at the local library. And what what she did is she needed to find a different kind of path, and she went online and she ended up doing a, a course on, on becoming a nurse's aide, And, you know, there's a huge demand for healthcare workers right now, pandemic aside, and this, the, the need for healthcare workers is going to, you know, grow exponentially over the next decade or two, primarily because of this, of this aging population. Well, and more,
0: But people over 65 are more vulnerable to COVID as well.
1: That's, that's, that's true. That's very true. And so this uh, woman, Janine, became a nurse's aide, and then she went on to the next level. Uh, all, All of this, you know, learning online and then going into a practical place. She did have the benefit of a husband who had a second income. So at a certain point, she pivoted out of the restaurant work. You know, she has no college degree. So this was all, you know, fundamental learning for her in a new area. And she's now thrilled in the way she was able to to move herself into a place where she thinks she will now go on and become a, you know, licensed practitioner nurse and, you know, may build on that, you know, in the future. But right now she took that, she took that first step and she, she made it a priority for herself um, in order to do that. And so I think that was a, that's a good, just one story in the book, which, you know, points out. A, a path that you can do. One has to say, I want to do this. I want to be committed to this. This is where I want to go. And she was a great example of that. Caller, you want to add anything?
0: Yes, I
5: do. And I I really appreciate that example. And as you pointed out, she had a spouse or a partner with a second income. I want to think, because I haven't gotten your book, so I don't know everything missing. Uh, And I probably will go and get it today. However, (laughs) Um, I want to talk about the second part of my question, which was about social policies that allow this to happen. I mean, my personal situation is is that I went through my good first career um, savings when I had parents who needed caretaking and there were no social policies that existed and the little better ones that exist today to help. So. I pivoted to a second career and then to a third career Uh um, that I'm still working at into my 70s that is keeping me afloat. But sure, there are other things I'd like to pursue beyond my humanities undergraduate degree that I think could lead to other careers. In my case, I need to work to pay my bills. So I'm thinking of what policies you might have given thought to, if any, out there, or what might be floating around that you can suggest people look into.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's um, it's a very fair question, and I think there is going to be certainly there is going to be a reckoning, because let's start with some fundamental social policies like uh, Medicare and Social Security, and how will they be shored up? As one of the previous callers said, you know, Social Security as we know it, you know, can it will it go bust? And then what happens? And so this has to be legislation that is you know brought forth into through through government through congress et cetera. we know what's going on in the divisiveness of of national politics right now but these are issues that are going to have to be bought, brought to the forefront there are different uh, lobbying organizations and you know the council on aging um certainly aarp does their piece and their 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 subject but you're absolutely right that social policy is going to have to to change one of the things that has been discussed is you know how is there su- are there, should there be supplemental benefits to seniors let's define you know what that means at what age where there is you know augmented supplemental income that comes in based mm-hmm. on things like elder care based on things like their own set of circumstances you know i think a lot of this will it's not there yet but i think once again the people the voters the people are going to force this i think that the the people who run for office you should be paying attention to are they putting this on their agenda if not they should be forced to put this, put this on their agenda and so i think that this is this is going to all of this is going to have to play out as as people as people live you know live longer for sure
0: thank you for your call you. i'm going to sneak in another call here uh, b a i you're on the air Hello. Yes, hi.
2: Hi. I just I didn't know I was on the air. Um, I, this is a wonderful show you have today because I'm freshly retired uh, as of April. And uh, unfortunately, I thought uh, once I retired, I'd be riding my bicycle and playing golf.
3: <laughs>
2: but my girlfriend, her health is, has declined, so I spend more time taking care of her. So it didn't take a turn out like i expected but uh when i first met her she was the captain of her tennis team now she can't walk a city block without having to rest oh. that's a shame anyway so that's how i've been uh freshly retired. i have a teamster pension and social security and uh stocks that give dividends so right now i'm comfortable i'm fear inflation they said that inflation went up by like 7%, and I'm like, oh, geez, what's this going to help me down the line?
0: It's going to eat away at your savings, isn't it, or whatever. You're getting Social Security payments? You have a, a pension plan?
2: Yes, I'm a teamster pension and uh, Social Security. As I said, I'm freshly retired, and I thought, I'll be doing sports, but I <laughs> don't now
0: I'm taking care of my girlfriend who can't lift over 10 pounds. Well, that's the way life is, unfortunately. That's the way life is. Michael? Yeah,
1: yeah well, you know, I think, um, you know, a lot of the economists are saying that the inflationary period that we're living in at the moment, you know, will begin to temper temper down. Um, you know, we all know and read about the supply chain issues that are happening, which is creating a lot of the inflation. And so let's hope that inflation, you know, recalibrates a bit, you know, over the next years um, and is not as high as it is at the moment. And, you know, if you look at economic cycles, there are peaks and valleys and periods of time. And so let's hope that there's a long, a long stretch there. Um, You know, I think the big the big question is, aside from that and aside from the caretaking, you know, you're at a great point now because you have some you know, since you're not working, you have some time to think and some time to say, okay, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And you right. know, some of that, you know, may include some income, some of it may not. But, you know, if you are, I'm just going to take a stab here and say, if you're in your 60s, this gets back mm-hmm. to, you know, you've got another 20, 25 years, how do you make that meaningful for you? Um, and how do you make that meaningful in terms of how you spend your day? And so that's, uh, this is a good time to think about that because you have a little more, you know, a little more freedom to spend time on thinking about it as opposed to the work pressures that we've all had. Mm. All right.
0: Okay. Th- yeah. Thank you for your call. Yeah. You want to add anything? Okay. Sounds- this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM streaming live at WBAI.org. Oh!
2: You're happily retired now hooray for you happily retired now what you're gonna do there's books to read and golf to play naps to take a fun all day you're happily retired today hooray oh yes you're happily retired now hooray for you happily retired now what you're gonna do all the kids must move away there's nothing really left to say
0: you're happily retired today for rain. Strike up the. If you're enjoying today's interview and would like to receive a copy of the book that we're discussing, Roar Into the Second Half of Your Life, by my guest, Michael Clinton, please call us at. or visit us online at give2wbai.org and for a $75 donation you will receive a copy of the book and become a member of WBAI but don't forget to make that $75 donation in the name of Leonard Lopate at large and and thank you so much and we will be taking more of your calls in just a moment the number here is 212-209-2877 Uh, We mentioned earlier that you had uh, uh, talked to people. You actually partnered with Qualtrics Research and surveyed hundreds of working adults Mm -hmm. on on how they're thinking about the future aspirations and and, uh, their dreams in in a post-pandemic world. How wide was the range of plans uh, that uh, people revealed?
1: Yeah, you know, we had about 600-plus people respond to the survey, and, you know, it was all people sort of at that midlife point. We asked them a lot of questions about their future, obviously. I mean, I would say overall people were, were very optimistic about their future. They also felt they had more, more runway in doing more things that they've wanted to do in their life. One of the things that really interested me, though, was we asked if you could redo something in your life... Would you? And you know, we all think about our our past and our history and say, "Well, I might have done this differently or that." There, there was a about a seventy percent response rate of people who said they would, and we we put in a, a write in response was the only question that had a write in response, and what was interesting is th- there were the number one write in response, which was you know two hundred and fifty ish kind of people, um, was I would rethink my marriage. I would have rethought who I married hmm. or do, a ma- do my marriage in a different way. I thought that was really interesting. And if you think about it, you know, let's just say you got married when you're 25 and you're now 65, you know, 40 years is a, is a long time. And my, my own parents got divorced after 40 years. And so, you know, people, um, you know, that's a long time. Uh, you know, hopefully you've grown together. The second thing was, I wish I had done more with my education, and, and I want to spend a minute on that because I touched on this earlier, and what, I've, what I continue to learn through the research of this book, and once again, there are resources in the book like Scholarship OWL and other uh, forms in which you can get financial support to do something different and by the way that doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a college degree or a master's degree it could be something like training to be a tradesman you know or uh, you know we we need carpenters and electricians you know so why can't you do that at 50. i mean there's there are senior programs for people to become trades trades you can get monies to do certificates as i mentioned the woman who became a nurse's aide There are lots of resources. Yeah, but you interviewed
0: Mark Kaplowitz, a successful Wall Street banker in his late 40s. Yeah. And he went back to school and got a master's in adolescent education. He's now a teacher in inner city schools.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He gave up a Wall Street career and he's teaching in inner city schools. And And he's happier now? Happier now. And I think one one of the things, you know, what so one of the, the things that I like to say is go back to your younger self. Hmm. What did you leave? You know, Mark is a good example. He really wanted to be a teacher when he was in his 20s. But, you know, he was talked out of it by his parents because they said, well, you know, you you may not have, you know, you're going to make a living, but is it going to be the kind of living you want? And so he ended up going down the business route where he made a good living, but it finally caught up with him and you know we all had something in our 20s and by the way it doesn't have to be a career it might have been a, a you know a creative passion that we we gave up you know we wanted to be a writer one of the women i interviewed in the book she was a sales executive she really always wanted to be a writer once again she was talked out of it cuz there's no quote future in being a writer and in her 50s she started taking writing courses and going online and going to master classes and She joined the Mystery Writers Guild and she went to a conference or two pre-COVID and she started to write, sit down and and write in her 50s. And she finally wrote a novel. As she said, she had 170 rejections, Hmm. but she 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 continued. She put that first novel away and wrote a second novel. She found a publisher. She's now 66 and she's written five mystery novels and she calls herself a mystery writer in which she is. But she went back to her younger self and picked up on something that she she regretted giving up. So that, that's a great way to think about how can I move forward in the second half?
0: Should we take some more
1: calls? Sure.
0: BAI, you're on the air. Could I speak to Michael?
1: Yes. Go ahead. Hello, Michael. Yes. Hi. Yeah. Take any of the Cuba. Um,
0: oh, oh, boy. Uh, you know, there's Some people are just so I stupid. Even, it's, I didn't even
1: hear what he said. But oh,
0: okay. he does this thing. Go back to Cuba. Uh, oh, how clever! God. It's so witty. Uh, anyway, let's take a, a call from a real person. BAI, you're on the air. I hope I'm that real person. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Okay. Uh,
6: I have a, 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 a question. Uh, they talk about um, the future. Uh, there won't be. There won't uh, be enough. Uh, situations for people but because of robotics and so um right. you're you're saying that okay we can kind of try and reimagine what we want to you know do and and want to be but you know if there aren't jobs uh what do you do uh when you're trying to figure that no, Yeah,
0: you know? artificial intelligence going to take over the world
6: right right <laughs> so so how do you how do you get around that
1: well you know certainly some things will happen um that will will displace displace jobs and you know that it will depend on the industry and, and what that is and so it's it's hard to answer that specifically but what I, what but, say- but
0: has not that been the, the course of hi- human history machines yeah. were invented that yeah. uh, that took away people's jobs and then so they moved on to other kinds of jobs and new jobs right. developed
1: mm-hmm. listen I, I was raised uh, as a poor working-class kid in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, we had we had no money. We had we were six kids. We were there was no you know higher education in the family background. I, I was raised in a neighborhood where all of the fathers and the grandfathers worked in the steel mills, mm-hmm. and you know, as you know, the steel mills went away, and the the kids who were in my my age group and generation. They had to figure out what they were going to do, um, you know, and their fathers, by the way, many of them were displaced and they had to figure out what they were going to do as the steel mills closed. And so to your point, Leonard, you know, this happens, this has happened, you know, for for centuries. and, And so this is just part of how we have to adapt to a changing, a changing life and find another course. Thank you for your call. You want to add something? Yes. Go ahead. That
6: was, um, you know, with the uh, the need to have computer skills. Uh, I think they need there needs to be more, you know, places where you can go to, yeah. you know, to uh, polish up and and try to. Mm. Uh, yeah, the the, uh, guess.
0: the general sense is that younger people know a lot more about getting around a computer than us yes. oldsters.
6: Yes, but we, you know, but we still have all that valuable, you know, yeah. experience yeah. that, you know, okay, we can't put it on the, you know, write the, the, letter out of the, get the letter out of the computer, but we do know what the concepts, you know, were that we're trying to get across.
0: Well, I I'll, I'll just an give an example point. of
1: that, if I, if I may. Yeah, should I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, please. You know, I think one of the things which when we step back and we look at how we have all adapted to technology by the way, we have been, you know, we've been, we've been forced to adapt to technology because as the world has gone digital, you know, think about something as basic as booking an airline ticket, you know, and learning the skill of going online to do that. You know, we've all as a society, regardless of how old we are, um, have had to learn how to adapt to do that. And, you know, walking around I, my my 80, 80 my mother passed away at 89, but when she was in her 80s, and her late 70s, she gave up her landline. She was on her cell phone. She was texting. She was, you know, she was a great example of someone who just adapted to technology. And I think it's really important that we all adapt to the trends that are emerging around us, especially in our everyday lives. And we're going to see a lot of that in with medical technology and medical support as we all choose to age at home. Uh, there are going to be a lot of really different tools that are going to help us from a technology standpoint to, you know, watch our vitals and be preventative in our medicines and medications. And so I think it's that, that's going to have good longevity benefits too. Okay.
0: All right. Well, my guest on today's London Low Pit at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM streaming live at WBAI.org is Michael Clinton. And, The book that we're discussing, the book he's written, is Roar into the Second Half of Your Life. It's published by Atria. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Go ahead.
4: Yes, I'm Kendall Lampkin. Um, I'm happily retired at um, 67 years old. Uh, My second anniversary of retirement was February 12th. And here's the thing with me. Were
0: you forced to retire or did you just choose at 65 to retire?
4: After 32 years working in both state and federal government, um, I'm one of the lucky ones at the time. I thought that it was crazy to just work in government and and, and, and work for a pension when everyone else was working for 401ks, which in some cases are now 201ks. But, um, but I'm fortunate. I mean, I have a as long as Social Security and my pensions hang in there, I have a, a comfortable six-figure uh, annual retirement. Um, but here's the question. Um, I'm one of those people that um, hopefully have great genes. My mom is a 90. My dad is 91. He's in better shape than I am. He does three miles a day. And I was considering um, relocating to, um, to Portugal. There's a lot of talk about that. I spent the summer there last year. Um, but I'm one of those people that's caught in the middle. You know, my my kids are, are grown and I married my daughter off last summer. So and my son is happily screenwriter. But I have this nag in terms of being concerned about my parents' health as I try to plot my second life. Um, and I guess the other thing is that what what I do in li- mo- moving to Lisbon, I, I I looked at some nonprofit organizations that I might get involved with there. I'm just wondering if your, if your guest has any thoughts or ideas about people that, that may or may not be stuck in this situation with parents that have longevity and, and, and the nagging um, frustration of wanting to move ahead but uh, still being held in that same situation
1: yeah you know it's a great first of all you're it sounds like you're in a really great place um in in your life so it's you know take a moment and celebrate that for sure um you know one of the ways it's funny you bring this up there is a um some some uh in the book there i do cover some of this in the sense of you know people who want to really sort of bust out and do something different like move to portugal or move to Mexico or wherever their choice is. That's what had. I was
0: going to do. But a lot of people yeah. choose to retire to Florida because of the weather. Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but but then recently I've been her- hearing that people uh, only want to retire to places they consider politically friendly.
1: Yeah, well, not, and, and also there's the cost of living. And, you know, Portugal is a great uh, place, as is Panama, as is Mexico, my, my own sister and her husband want to move to and planning to move to Ajijic, which is uh, in near Guadalajara in Mexico in yep. terms of cost of living. There's a very big expat community. You know, I think that the one thing to think about is to start building the hybrid model as you're taking care of your your parents. You mentioned you spent the summer in Portugal. Uh, if that's your place, then I would say every year start planning to spend, you know, a few months in Portugal and start building your network there, your community. If you're going to if you're going to invest in property, you know, as your parents, um, you know, over, over time you may end up going there full time, but I think it's important to sort of build a beachhead on a place that you really you really enjoy and go spend, you know, as much time as you can during the course of the year or go back and forth a few times while you're still sort of watching out for your for your folks, Um, you know, and so that that is, you know, a good example of sort of building the bridge and the hybrid model, you know, on the on the nonprofit side, there's lots of need and demand for people like you who have experience and knowledge and can bring unique uh, perspective. I, I myself am on multiple nonprofit boards and, you know, I find it very rewarding and I give a lot of my my time and energy to it. Uh, One of them is Pace University, which is in downtown New York. And, you know, I Mm -hmm. love the Pace story because their focus is on uh, first time, first generation college students. I'm a first generation college uh, graduate, so I can connect to their, you know, their mission. So find the nonprofits that are that you have a personal connection and interest in. And that's that's a very individualized thing that they would welcome you with open arms.
0: Well, you also are vice president, executive vice president of the Board of Trustees of the International Center of Photography. But not many people are offered those kinds of positions when they retire.
1: Well, I wasn't offered that position. Actually, I became I joined one of the committees at the ICP, you know, 15 years ago. So I didn't step into that role. I grew into that role. And, you know, when you get involved in an organization that you have a passion for, I have a passion for photography, um, you you grow within that that organization. It ultimately led to, as you point out, this particular, particular role, but it was um, from a, you know, pretty fundamental beginning.
0: We only have a little time left, but I want to sneak another caller in. Caller, can you make it brief? Hello, you're on the air.
1: I'm a
5: 77-year-old woman, Mm -hmm. and I worked very hard all my life, raised my four children, and now, being that I'm retired, I would like to go to do interior
2: decorating, which was something I wanted to do since childhood, and to write a book, Mm -hmm. but I don't know where to start.
1: Ah, well, first of all, I love the fact that you're thinking about next chapters, so this is exactly what my book is all about, so congratulations. You know, I think one of the things you can do in terms of interior design is I'll go back to there are lots of courses online where you can start learning the basics and the fundamentals I would do I'm going to you're suggesting
0: that people start off by looking
1: online yeah I mean I think you can start getting you know you know learning about it uh online do you google interior design uh, I I might say google um how do I become an interior designer Mm -hmm. let's start there um, but here's a practical way. I'm going to I'm going to use my my own mom as an example. My mom, um, who was a high school graduate, and when we when my brother and I sent my parents to Europe for their for their for their uh, anniversary, this is years and years ago, and my mother got really excited about visiting Europe and said, "I would love to come to travel agent." And she was uh, 50 at the time, so she was a little younger, but she said. Um, How do I do it? I don't have never done it. She went to a local travel agency and she said, I will work for free for a couple of months, learn your systems. And if I'm really good, will you hire me? And so what I would say is go find some of the interior design firms in your community, in your neighborhood, in your town and see if you can be a um, an intern. You know, you can be an intern at any age and, you know, start learning sort of right on the job, if you will. And you know, don't do it forever, but you know, do it as a way to learn the learn the fundamentals and the skills and so forth. And I think that's that's a great practical step aside from an internet internet search.
0: And and obviously, um, and they might very well appreciate having an intern who already has a lot of life experience.
1: They would love it. I would say they would love it. You know, bring it, bring it, bring it on. Um, yeah. You know, we could do a whole we could do a whole hour on writing a book. So I'm not going <laughs> to. I don't know if I'll go there because we have limited time, but. Um, The key in writing the book is you have to have a really, really, really solid, well-thought-out thesis as to what message you want to put out. So I've been very fortunate with Roar. It's been a bestseller. We're going back to our third printing. It's really hit a chord with people. Um, We have a newsletter. You can go on to roarbymichaelclinton.com and sign up for it. It's a monthly newsletter. It's free, lots of information. Um, but when you, if you want to write a book, you just have to make sure you have a really solid and unique message that you want to tell.
0: And I have to leave it there, unfortunately. Thank you so much for your call. And, Michael Clinton, thank you so much. Michael Clinton has, has more than 40 years of experience in magazine publishing, including as president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. Uh, he's currently a special media advisor to the CEO of Hearst Corporation. Uh, and he has written a book called Roar into the Second Half of Your Life, published by Atria. It's been a great pleasure having you on our show.
1: It's been such a great pleasure to be with you, Leonard, and to be with all of your listeners and to have some great conversations. So thank you.
0: And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to our live engineer, Reggie Johnson, and to Kaziah Glow, the executive producer of Leonard Lopit at Large, for all of the important work that they do throughout the week. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more of our one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access all of our over 600 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast, which recently surpassed one million plays, is available on iTunes, the Apple channel, and everywhere else that you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to consider supporting WBAI in this show, which comes to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. We are asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now. We need your help to continue to bring you this unique, in-depth content, information you usually don't get anywhere else. And as I mentioned earlier... You'll receive a copy of Roar into the Second Half of Your, of Your Life by my guest, Michael Clinton, when you become a member of WBAI for a contribution of $75 or more in the name of Leonard Lopez at large. So why not make that call right now at 212-209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org. You might also consider becoming a sustaining member of the station, what we call a BAI buddy. Either way, I hope you'll call right now because BAI is the only station on the New York radio dial that's 100% listener-supported. And that allows us to be completely free of uh, a free speech station. So let us know, if you're a regular listener, let us know that you, love, that you like what you hear, you appreciate what we do here. Again, the number one more time is... or go online to WBAI.org. We're off for special programming next Monday and Tuesday, but I hope you can join us again on Wednesday when Amy B. Zegart will discuss her fascinating new book, Spies, Lies, and Algorithms. I hope to see you then.